You just heard Pagan Babies. This was originally on the Immaculate Conception record, which came out in 1987 on Positive Force Records, um, making up for lost time. So the Pagan Babies, even though the band is Pagan Babies, people always refer to them as the Pagan Babies, was the legendary hardcore band closest to my area of Philadelphia and was one of those bands that the older folks would be like, oh, you never even seen the Pagan Babies. you never seen Gorilla Biscuits. you never seen no fucking Muta today. You missed all the cool hardcore shit. And um, they were partially right, but uh, <laughs> we're proving them wrong once again. Uh, Pagan Babies from Philadelphia not only are now playing uh, more often, I think, than they had been in many, many, many years. They uh, returned with um, an anthology record probably like almost 13 years ago. And then they did a um, self-release and then another release. We actually had them on the Alone in the Crowd, Howie in a Crowd Benefit at the church. They've played their own shows at different venues in Philadelphia. Um... Mike McManus, longtime hardcore dude from Philadelphia, Dan McGinnis, Mark Pinnacle Tour. I mean, these guys are all been around. And um, 
lucky to still have a band from that period of Philadelphia hardcore to be present at tomorrow's fucking Gorilla Biscuit show. So here's the deal. Two shows at the first Unitarian Church in Philadelphia. Both shows sold out very quickly. So I have been connecting some people who are like, hey, I've got two tickets I want to sell on a Saturday. Or, hey, I've got two tickets I want to sell on a Sunday. Or, hey, is there a ticket available for me to buy? And when I can, I can link them people up and email, and that's what I've been doing all goddamn week. But also, we've gotten people emailing us like, hey, I'm not going to fly out. Or, you know, I had a couple of people that said, yeah, you know, we got bad weather. I'm not going to make the travel. Just give my ticket to someone who wanted to go. So we're going to have a limited amount of people that can come down to the show Saturday and to the show Sunday. Saturday show is Gorilla Biscuits headlining with Pagan Babies and Be Well. We've played Be Well before. Be Well features my boy Aaron Dalbeck, Bane, McTurnan, the fucking, there's so many cool dudes in this band actually in general. But um, yeah, we got Be Well opening the show, Pagan Babies and GB. Doors are at 7.30 on Saturday. First band is 8 p.m. Now, Sunday is a little different because we love our Saturday matinee. So the show will start promptly at 2 p.m. We'll do Doors at 1.30. First band, Hard Turf. My boy Pete Saris, BJJ United, Black Belt. Among some other Philly hardcore royalty old head style shit. Then Dead Last featuring the one, the only, John Scanlon. Um, Combust, the most Italian band in the history of Nor- um, New York hardcore. Uh, Raw Brigade uh, from Bogota, representing New Jersey, New York. Raw Brigade, absolutely outstanding band as well. And one of the great New York hardcore bands of my era, the Kill Your Idols, and then, of course, Gorilla Biscuits. So the first band goes on 2 p.m. on Sunday. So just so we're clear, first band 2 p.m. on Sunday and 8 p.m. on Saturday. If you show up really early, we're going to have a handful of tickets. Like I said, it's really weird. I know people buy tickets from all over, and they're like, yo, I'm going to get this fucking hotel. I'm going to meet this person. I'm going to go fly out, and they don't fucking do it. And then I'll get emailed like, hey, uh, yeah, just give my ticket to someone. So we will have some tickets available to purchase. And I will connect people whenever I can. I've had like someone say just, hey, I know we need one or two. So if you get an email or you send me an email, Joe Harcourt Gmail, I'll try to link you as best I can. I know that you're going to hear this on Friday morning, but I've been I've been trying all week to link people because the amount of IG bots and ticket scammers out there is fucking disgusting. I hate it, but that's the price of uh, doing business, which will lead back into what we were discussing most of this episode. But I digress. We've got hardcore to talk about, not just the business side, but the real shit. Um, this whole time... Uh, this last week has been a fucking blur. And I appreciate every person who, you know, once again, every person who reached out, every person who sent a, a text, a question, yada, yada, yada. You know, it, it fucking means the world. But that being said, we've got fucking, we got, what do I say? We got bigger fucking fish to fry, right? So, on the chopping block, I'm just going to go through these, not even in order. Um,. I wish we I had a better way of having it in order, but I don't, so I'm gonna just gonna do my best. Oh, you know what? Next Thursday, uh, 
Thursday, March 2nd at the Photo Club is Violent Way. Castillo, repeat offender, cut down in the slads. That's at Bob Wilson. Photo Club is on the cusp of uh, right on the edge of Rockledge. Not Rockledge. Um, I always forget the fucking shitty neighborhood they call it. Not quite, not quite Kensington, not quite Bridesburg. Just right in the middle, right near North Catholic. I don't know how long that venue is going to be open. But yeah, Bob, Bob Wilson got a show there. Violent Way, sick band. Check them out. Actually, everybody in this band's fucking sick. It's going to be cool. And then, um, again, trying to do this in order doesn't seem to work. The very next night, we have Bob Wilson, C4. This is at Bonks in Port Richmond. Jesus Christ. With Exhibition, Combust, and Burning Lord. Damn. Bonks celebrating. I guess this is Josh's birthday. So, it's going to be another sick one. Then we have Tuesday, March 14th, Last Wishes from the United Kingdom with Kidnap, Sinister Feeling from Baltimore, Bayway from New Jersey, people just seen Stickman moshing to them, and Shot Out from Philly, Kareem, real Frank for shit, Media F- VFW, that's um, a Ben Stuckey show, actually, yeah, you know what, and I should have said, and then the next... Um, it was actually the the week before, but I just got these in out of order. Friday, March tenth, a knife in the dark carbonite domain with eyes wide shut and last man out. That's in the media VFW. Very cool venue, little outskirts of media, very old school style. You know, all the shows are on the floor. The bands are great. A lot of young kids. Um, Bob Wilson also has Tsunami Spy, Missing Link, Fool's Game, and Scarab at the Church, March twenty third. Then, obviously, the Hardcore Pride Weekend, the 24th and 25th. Then, Bob Wilson has at the Snake Pit. It's a secret venue, secret location, so I can't really talk. But I'll say that Chemical Fix, Jive Bomb, Gum, and Bankrupt are playing there. Or you could travel across the city and go to the First Unitarian Church for Vein, Ear of the Knife, Foreign Hands, and Gloves Off. That's the kind of fucking city Philadelphia has. On a Thursday fucking night, we got some wild-ass shit. Some DL, we can't tell you the address shit. And some, you know the fucking business. You know these fucking bands. And this shit's going to be fucking crazy other shit. Either way, um, very proud of everything that we worked for with uh, Philly. And we got some cool more shows coming up. I got some I can't talk about till next week because we're not allowed to announce it. And more like that coming. And of course, this is Hardcore, which will be the weekend around August 5th and 6th with some shows Wednesday or Thursday and Friday. Um, yeah. I would... Sorry about that. Um, I'd like to start this off by saying that I genuinely enjoy the conversations that I get from people when they listen to episodes like I'm about to try out here. I say try out because I actually wrote, as you hear me fumbling with fucking papers, I I wrote down a bunch of shit so I didn't just go off the asshole in this one. And the first thing, first things always last. As I was, um, as I was preparing my notes and just double checking, making sure I didn't um, overstep what I read, double checked, you know, the whole deal. Uh, I was back and forth with our good friend Bruce LePage from 100 Demons, and uh, he had posted 
that the too often being in a popular band is not equivalent to being a good band. My reply was popularity drives attention to a band and a popular band rarely faces real critics and have to me when I say this a lot of these popular bands just listen to people on the internet they're not even really friends with and they're just fans and a lot of people will side socio-politically with a popular band in hopes that they could benefit from them in my situation I have said negative things about bands records I've said not like hey you fucking suck you shouldn't be in a band like hey I really didn't enjoy this record and not in a European style where like this record is not so good or like you know some dumb shit but just being critical being able to critique and say that I'm not a fan and it has cost me what Jocko Willink would say, social capital with people by not falling into lime and just jumping all over whatever is popular. It's, it's happened plenty of times. I could, I could literally fucking, <laughs> I can't name all of them at this point because I break some balls and shit, but I am guilty of not doing what's best for, you know, me as a promoter or me as the fest, you know, organizer by being critical but I think it's necessary in art and when you give a fuck about something you know you're allowed to have a, a critique so a critique is a, de- a detailed analysis and assessment of something especially literary philosophical or political theory and uh, just in case you're wondering to critique to evaluate a theory or practice in a detailed and analytical way and that's it you know, it's analytic. Look, here's my perspective. This is my interest. This is my thought process. But that alone, that alone could change whether or not the band that is supposed to be all powerful and all popular wants to work with you. Because who wants to work with someone who's being critical of your art? When you can work with people who jump over fucking anything to just drop the most flowery, oh my God, it's so amazing. It's like an ego stroke. And being a person who found hardcore previous to the internet, previous to the social media interfacing that dominates most social culture and commentary, and I've said this plenty of time on many episodes that the zines that I felt, you know, was like the foundation point to learn about a lot of stuff in hardcore punk really didn't give a fuck if someone didn't like the opinion of the critic. In this case, a zine would write, you know, here's the demo. I don't really like this demo. This recording sucks. The vocals are stupid. Blah, 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 blah. Sometimes they're even more harsh. It all depended. But I think previous to social media dominance in this in this world and previous to a lot of other things we're going to get into, I find myself, you know, not pining for a time when bands would get shit on, but wanting to see 
a world where a band who is popular can take the fucking heat in the kitchen. Where they can understand that every single song on a record may not be everyone's fucking favorite. But as we'll go into later on in this episode, it's not always the case anymore because it's, the game's almost rigged at this point. And so uh, I'm going to stick to what I said. Kind of bumbled it because it's hard for me to, I look at the screen as I record as I talk. I was looking at the screen and I'm looking at uh, the, the tweet just so I didn't mis- discredit or misquote myself. But yeah, you know, I, I do believe that popularity is ultimately important because it helps the social dynamic between bands in the beginning and then later on. You know, like um, there are some very, very popular bands for a time who because their social interactions were not at the status quo or, you know, abhorrent or critical or, you know, some was almost like self-aggrandizing or just limiting their ability to find people that wanted to play with them. Like, this is the reality. It's like you could be the biggest band in the world. Guns N' Roses, Metallica, the two biggest bands in the world. They couldn't even fucking deal with each other until there was a huge breakdown and insanity that took place in Canada. You guys should read about it if you're young and don't know about it. But, you know, there are bands that tour... And, yeah, the biggest band usually goes on top. But then you're going to find a band who wants to play under them. The band that's usually playing second to support, they're either right there with the band or maybe they're just under, but they're still growing. And so you got to work that tenuous, you know, social social credit. Like, hey, you know, they got to build social capital with this person. You know, we want to have a good relationship so we can be on tour. You're a fucking dickhead. People are going to find out, especially in the days of social media. These internet and the videos and the screenshot the screenshots and everybody being able to spread internet uh, drama immediately. It's not as important these days because most people are just fake to each other's faces or they do the politically important thing. Like, I don't really like this band, but I know if I play with them, I have a chance of winning over their audience. But again, it all comes down to is that Popularity does not denote any kind of original ideals. In fact, I think some of the biggest, most popular bands often recycle ideas from previous artists, which I think that's great. I think that's really important, especially in the hardcore punk culture. And so the newer generation, like whoever's brand new right now, is seeing stuff for the first time. So it's all exciting. And then People who have not been exposed to different aspects of hardcore with these different bands that go back. No, I'm going to be a band that sounds like this. People are like, man, this is fucking amazing. Without the information that there's been bands like this previously, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 35 years ago. Everything that's new becomes old. And then everything that's old becomes new again, so to speak. This is the fashion trends and music trends, etc., etc. Um, but where it comes to be important again with popularity and social dynamics is that you can be a great fucking band or you could be a band with a great gimmick, but if you're not today in today's world, if you're not socially 
out there, not only just on social media, quote tweeting the right people, following the right people, not uh, not following the wrong people, that kind of stuff plays really heavily. And then it ushers you into a place if you are a player in this scope of things where you are now no longer dealing with anyone who's going to tell you the fucking truth or speak to you as a grown-up or speak to you in any kind of way that would make you have any other kind of belief that anything that you say is cool and right because anyone with a blue check or anybody with the popularity level doesn't have to worry about having closer friends that might be critical when they've got a thousand people that are going to agree with anything. And if anyone on the internet and any of the social media text boxes would push back on an idea, well then, you know, they're going to, your friends and your friends or, or, you know, your so-called social friends are going to fucking clobber them in the comments or quote tweet and dunk on them. So you never really face pure criticism in today's world. And that's why some of the most popular bands today in hardcore are fucking god-awful and terrible because they'd never really had to worry about being it. And I think that's one symptom of some of the disconnect that I'm going to talk about later. And the other half of it is is the bands that are socially not always the best, but you know their music's good and they're just they just play enough of the right cards that they don't have to worry about anything else. You know they're just pop enough or they're just heavy enough that they just get they get through and they get along they never really have to deal with some of the the bullshit critiques because anyone in the middle like you know like almost like a wounded animal there's people dying to talk shit dying to talk shit about people at any given time you know right up there Right up there with all the popularity is the shit talking. People dying to dunk on it. It's easy to dunk on John Josephs right now. I'll tell you what though, as a man of his word and someone who I have been friends with, despite thinking that the new Blood Clot record should have went really heavy and that he should step aside from all the silly talking points that just get him into arguments all day and focus on the things that he used to motivate people with, I am really happy that John still reached out and fucking donated to my mom's thing and sticks to his word with a lot of stuff. But the modern crowd, it's not 2000s B9 board where everyone is dying for any kind of Chrome mags and just saw the John Joseph Harley mags and can't get enough of it. You know, like now the, the mags, the mags world is a little low. Kids aren't excited because we did so many Chrome mag shows that now he's easy to dunk on. And I just got to say, you know, you young guys, man, and gals out there, you know, you don't do the right things, you don't say the right things, or you say the wrong things, you're too critical of some of these cats, and you could be in that man's shoes with a Instagram against you or a group chat's dunking on you. You don't need that shit. So got to figure out how to navigate in this world. Um, My biggest problem is that the people who create music are unable to accept criticism and unable to take the fact that music that they create could possibly be flawed 
or not as this in today's world because everything that's written and everything that's talked about is only talked about from the positive angle. And where Maximum Rock and Roll and every magazine that I grew up on would just fucking shoot, even Thrasher would shit up on bands, you know, like there was just no quarter. And, and I, I will concede on one thing that there also probably was some popularity things and some bias on the part of writers who would also attack because it goes back to the singular thing um, where, you know, if you're not popular enough, people can shred on you. But I do think that um, previous reviews on the, um, I think previous reviews on the maximum rock and roll thing really show you or showed me that no one was fucking no one was fucking safe. Um, there was a ton of stuff in the zine world, like the heart attack drama, and I, I mean I could go. I mean we could probably. I'm not archival knowledge well based enough to come up with like the top 10 things that heart attack and maximum rock and roll did but there's quite a few of them that throughout the early years of my beginnings in hardcore in the 1990s where this was it like what people would talk about they went to all about twitter i said oh you hear what this guy wrote this kent mcclard guy what he wrote heart attack Somebody's like, you know, I'm gonna fucking write that guy a letter, you know, and it's like the, this this guy doesn't gonna fucking print the letter. There's a lot of letter writing. I uh, it's such a bizarre thing also to be talking about Twitter in 2023 and to think that um, nearly 30 years ago, uh, I was handwriting letters to bands. I really like your band. I would like to book your band in Philadelphia. Lick the fucking envelope put the fucking paper in it put the stamp mail that bitch see what the fuck comes out and now all i gotta do is at someone and tweet very bizarre very bizarre very quick chain of events how things move so quick information moves so quick and i think in that is why i think sometimes people fly to the top and other people sink to the bottom fairly quickly. It's because the the speed of information transfer, the quick the quicker way with access to technology and the advances such and simplicity of being DIY. I mean, any band on earth could easily record something pretty fucking quickly the way I'm recording now, and get a Bandcamp account, and get a PayPal account, and you know do the things and just release their own shit and put up a merch shop through any number of merch vendors and kind of be on their own immediately. Whereas like before they here's our demo tape. Oh, fuck. How do we get it out? Let's make a bunch of fucking demo tapes and give them out. Who do we give them out to? Not just our friends. We got to give them out. Let's give them out the zines. Oh, send it to the zine. Like, this fucking tape's fucking awesome. Send it out. The dude's like this fucking, your fucking band sucks. Guys reading the zine seven months later. Hey, I sent that tape in. It'd be like, oh, you know, this band fucking sounds like bullshit youth of today crap. Singer doesn't even know, has terrible lyrics. And he's like, wait, we have terrible lyrics? Imagine like waiting and like seven months later and you're reading this and you're like, fuck. We fucking suck by this fucking dude. Love his fucking zine. Fuck that guy. I don't even like that fucking zine no more. That's what happened. That's how it fucking worked. I don't know the number, but I would love to know how many people who were selling zines outside of shows 
the way people used to pass out hand flyers. By the way, Philadelphia Hardcore Show still passes out paper flyers. But in case you're wondering, I wonder how many people got punched in the fucking mouth for writing some shit that might even be accurate, but just happened to say the wrong shit in a zine by someone who ain't having it and they got punched in the fucking mouth for it. Would love to know who the fuck did that. Should have entire, I could wish I'd do a whole podcast on who got punched in the face for writing an article or a commentary or a bad review. But where I was getting with all this is that popularity will absolutely increase the amount of people that are going to surround themselves, surround you with them in hopes that you will help them. Promoters won't say bad things about you, critique you. They'll, you know, there's young promoters that'll offer you $500 more. Like whatever he's paying you, I'll pay you more. (laughs) I mean, uh, yeah, okay. Give them more money than they're worth. Genius. You know, like there's, that's a whole separate issue in itself where it's like, yes, you can book the band, but if you don't do good with the band, is the band going to want to come back and play for you? No. So as a young promoter, don't go, whatever they're offering you, I'll offer you more. And it doesn't matter if you're paying out of your own pocket. The band wants to get paid a good sum of money and they want to play in a good room. If I offer a band 2000 and you offer them five and they play a room full of nobody, they're going to be happy that I paid $5,000, but then they're going to be like, we should have just played with you for two, <laughs> you know, like, and, and not in those nominals and situations, but there has been times where bigger clubs had offered bands that we were trying to get and they would get the money, but they may not get the crowd. Sometimes you don't get one. Sometimes you get a little bit of one or the other, but if you're a really good promoter, you will give the band the best show that they're able to bring. And hopefully the room is full. And when the room is full, they get money. That's how, it should hopefully work. Um, but yeah, I do find the lack of criticism. I find everything to be an advertisement. Nobody is allowed to say, you know, this band is pretty good. But I really don't think that they're the greatest thing on earth. And maybe in time, like I used to say about, you know, in this last episode, we talked about Hesitate. Hesitate wasn't great. But what was great about them was they were fucking psyched. I'm fucking Big Jake. Fucking literally Big fucking Jake. So fucking psyched to be in a band, smiling the whole time he played. You know, like, big motherfucker. I, I can't believe he even gets on stage. Some of these stages they play in Fool's Game. He's so fucking tall. But, you know, there is a thing. I mean, you know, Clemo was in fucking Ripped Away. Look at Stucky. Fuck knows what that motherfucker was up to before we found him. But the, these these kids starting these bands, and we could dunk on them when it, in our proverbial, non-existent, didn't happen print zine. Stucky looks... Like Uncle Fester, little brother, boop, you know, big Jake, you know, make fun of all of them in the thing. It wouldn't matter. And they probably wouldn't laugh in today's day. I mean, never know. They might take a joke out of this band. I mean, that's another thing. Zines used to, there used to be not parody zines, but sometimes people would send their shit and hoping they would get ripped up because they did find it funny because they didn't take themselves seriously. But you can't go around telling bands like, ah, you know what, last record, I don't really give a fuck about it. Wait, what? What do you mean you don't give a fuck about my record, man? Yeah, it's not really for me. Well, what don't you like about it? Dude, it's just not for me. And I think that an honest policy would say like, hey, man, I'm really glad that you're creating this art or this music or the cool record and, you know, live. I really love when you play songs that kids know because there's no person on earth I unless... I mean, there is 
a straight dichotomy here. There is people who can directly say, oh, you know, it's really cool that these younger kids are getting to these bands that sound more metallic or they sound more pop or they're not really as, you know, straight down the, the middle hardcore like GB Youth of Today, you know, negative approach style. But certain things, you know, like I have older friends like, I don't understand that, knock loose. Some people don't. It is what it is. But them not understanding it doesn't make them decrying or defaming them. And I know some people will just never find that shit hardcore. It's just someone's personal perspective. But I find that the popularity that is accrued and achieved through social media creates these almost like no man's land. Where you're in the one trench and you're like, ah, I like this kid in this band. And I know the band's popular. Maybe I'm going to run out, not run out proverbial to be but like you know i'm gonna go out you know if he's asked me how i feel i'm gonna tell him like ah oh, you know i'm not real feeling it and you might as well just be in world war ii or world war one and having to run over the fucking fence oh it's your turn to go up and you run and get shot immediately because they're just not gonna hear you out <laughs> this motherfucker said our record wasn't great fuck him we ain't gonna play his fucking stupid church or his dumb fest it's fucking crazy the ego and ego plays big into the rest of what we're gonna get into so with popularity and the internet as we just kind of beat over a dead horse um the fans aren't critics and 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 now that we kind of slightly touched on critics not being critical but being you know only fans that kind of like cancel each other out right i mean there is people who are writing for newspapers who are not even old enough to have like a bigger perspective on music so they write these glaring insane reviews and then the band will go on social media look look what we had written about us it's not like fucking Moses came down out the temple mount with this fucking tablet your band is fucking fantastic never fucking happened this is some fucking dickhead who wants to get popular so he's writing in this dumb magazine this magazine don't know what the fuck Anything is, but they're like, all right, yeah, you want to be a writer? Oh, you, you know, did a quote? Yeah, cool. Yeah, you can write this article, but it's just opinion. But people are biased, and they will follow the opinion that serves them best. Where this starts falling apart is when our good friend Dan, the drummer of Architects, was quoted in Metal Hammer of saying that the, and we talked about this, I think, last week, just in general, about the, the merch cut thing. And really what it comes down to be is that, you know, there are bands who are pretty fucking popular and bands who are growing in popularity. And every time we talk about this shit, it's the same thing. They upset that they're playing a venue and and they're getting 20% of their t-shirts. They have to, you know, pay to the club. You know, why are they taking this money? And really, you know, it's not pro-merch cut here. It's not anti-merch cut here. It's like, well, brother, you, you wanted the you wanted the fucking you wanted the fucking business. You wanted to be a part of this, so here's your chance to be a part of it, right? And you know, Decibel and you know, modern magazines, Metal Sex, uh, Metal Sucks, Enemy. You know, Loudwire, everyone carried this shit. And um, it, it's important to note that it, it is a 
um, it is a part of business. It's a part of the business of the music industry, you know. And I think that what happens is these people from these bands that go on the internet in front of their fans and just mouth off, you know. They just fucking mouth the fuck off and then... The gimmick that happens is that someone's like, oh, well, you know, this is a reason. And, and then four people, I don't think that's right. I don't think it's fair at all. You know, it's fucking, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, well, I mean, you just see it. You know, you see it that there is an immediate need for validation in these tweets, like we talked about it, from a fan base. And um, one of the guys from Thrice was like, look, man, it's embarrassing every time one of these bands just stands up and says, you know, not merge cuts. Like, you know, you, you got to be a pro here. And like, this is the cost of business. And then further down the line, blah, 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 blah. Here we go. Some band said, somebody from a band that I won't even cap up because it's so ridiculous. Bands need to unionize. Right, okay. So, uh, when you start talking about being in a union, right, like that, that starts actually getting to me. Like mentally, I'm like, do you, do you motherfuckers even know what you're talking about? Like, do you even get, do you get it? You know, like, do you understand what you're asking for? Or you've been talking about it. He's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we should just... If everybody went on strike until we ended merch cuts, then the fucking venues would fucking learn. And, and I got news for you, brother. Before I get into all the other crazy shit, this, this utopian society where the, the bands surround themselves and hold hands like a chain, human chain, we will not play until there's no more merch cuts. Man, tomorrow some band's going to take your fucking spot and play in that fucking venue and not give a fuck. And I'm going to get to that later, but I want you to remember this. You know, this is the important factor here. But because I am an interested, an interested party and would like to think that in lieu of just spouting off bullshit that I would take a little bit of time and look this up, and so I had. And I find it really fucking interesting through all the searching that I did. Um, but essentially is there already is and has been musician unions for an insane amount of years. In fact, the current uh, American Federation of Music Musicians in America alone have been around fucking literally forever and um just so you know just like my local which was uh op cmia operative plasterers and cement masons international my local union has been around <laughs> right around the civil war and the same thing the american federation of music musicians formated in formed formation was in 1896 125 years, actually 26. They've got almost 70,000 members, and 
there was early on a lot of different um, unions spread out. All I mean, there was unions for everything. Rope makers, any kind of trade, any kind of business, glass makers, bead makers. There are so many different unions in the beginning of the pushback from the chaos and the exploitative nature of the Industrial Revolution that labor rules and people started pushing and fighting as they should have. And so the American Federation of Labor recognized this this union in 1896. And so the idea was that any musician who received pay for his musical services shall be considered a professional musician. Um, and, you know, th- this this whole thing was really about making sure, and, and this is where it gets really crazy, is there were musicians who were getting paid to play in the, the cabarets, and there was musicians who were getting paid to play just so that way sheet music was recorded. And there, you could just read onto this forever. I mean, first, there was uh, the Copyright Act, which wasn't even around until 1909, which, you know, uh, created the current, well, not the current, but the first royalty payments for composers. Um, so that way the composers of a work could actually be paid for copywriting the music, which, you know, there's tons of music pre-1909. Um and then in the 20s, um, not only was live music challenged by a cabaret charge, which was to help the, um, the war coffers, but also recording and radio changed everything. So th- the union was actually like, we don't like canned music and forbade uh, orchestra leaders from advertising their orchestras free of charge on the radio. And... There was a lot of, I mean, they actually brought, that brought down the amount of recording companies. And then between um, talking movie pictures and the different way that they were recording things, Vitaphone, movie tone, and phonograph recording. And then um, finally the film companies joined and actually signed a contract with the American Federation of Musics, which is... Uh, a time when there was recordings happening, which got rid of radio orchestras. And then obviously we something we don't think about, but the jukebox affected the live music that was in clubs. And, you know, the TLDR version of all this is that as long as musicians have been trying to find a living there has been competition within the different industries. Now, uh, well, the different industry and the different facets. Now, today's music industry is three separate kinds. There's the live industry, which is, you know, when the bands the, the bands that are performing, every person who's involved in the venues, forget about these fucking people, the moppers, the sweepers, the toilet cleaners, the riggers, the lighters, every single thing, the lighters, what the fuck, the lighting, you know, like the entire crew that puts up the sound, puts up the the extra shit to make your show look cool. These motherfuckers have to get paid. You know, the venues 
as you as you if you didn't listen to the previous couple episodes back when we were talking about Live Nation, the venues are so corporately owned now. There's not as many options, and partly in partly we're going to get into more of this. I mean, corporate control is not on the side of the bands in the fucking first place right now. And I don't think it ever has been, to be honest. If you start reading back, you're talking about 1909. They had a copyright act, and then by 1927, the movies came out, and it took till the late 30s before the film companies were signing the musicians. And, and there's a great um, documentary that I think you all should check out. I um I can't find the link for it right now. I had, thought I had it in my YouTube notes. I just scrolled, and I'm completely fucked on it, but... There was this great YouTube video where they had a full cast of different important players who played specifically throughout the, I want to say the 50s through the 70s, recording, just playing as a session musician, you know, and then slowly but surely the formation of like the five or six piece band, sometimes in the 70s with the big horns would be more. Like as bands started becoming their own outfit, these people who had a living just being sessionists was gone. Throughout throughout the entire time, essentially what I'm saying is, musicians have had a hard time on their own being able to find a living through royalties and live performance rates. And it's not... It's not new, essentially. In fact... In my Google searches, to afford living in Austin, um, Katie works two jobs in the music business. In addition to a gig as a tour manager, 19 an hour working remotely, 40 hours a week as a YouTube music, music subject matter expert. Pouring over spreadsheets for errors in the company's charts algorithms. To manage it all, she alternates between her YouTube music office computer and her fun computer. Essentially, this is a uh, YouTube just put out on literally three hours ago before I did these notes. I just was Googling for something else. YouTube music workers strike in Austin over anti-union return to office mandate. And um, they effectively created... um, she wanted a union electrician that would effectively unionize them. Now, um, they were mandated that all the employees return to work, even though the company hired them, understanding they were working, working remotely. And so, you know, even in right now, there is people who are fighting with the CEO of YouTube about, anti-union postures in these musical scenarios. And um, the the big thing that comes down to it is, is they were hired by Cognizant. And we're going to get to this quote from them. Uh, where are we at? I would, I'm sorry for those. I This is a scroll down. I was looking for that fucking YouTube link. Respects the rights of our associates to disagree with our policies and, prote- and protest them lawfully. 
It is disappointing the workers decided to strike over a return to office policy. The company has communicated to them repeatedly since December 21. And I, I don't know how they could, they could create a union, yes. And we're going to get into some of that right now because that's the other half of like really started perking my head up like, wait, why are we talking about this union shit? And then it was like, oh, okay. Well, if we're gonna do if we're gonna do the union talk, we're gonna do it right because this is up my alley, and this is shit that is um, key and important. And I and I keep seeing people specifically bring this shit up, and it is talking straight out their ass. But beforehand, we're gonna go back to our friends in the American Federation of Musicians, who in uh, August first, nineteen forty two, um began a strike against the major recording companies because of disagreements over royalty payments. No union musician could make commercial recordings of any commercial record company. That meant a union musician was allowed to participate in radio programs and other kinds of musical entertainment, but not in a recording session. And so the 1942-44 to musician strike became the longest strike in entertainment history for two years. Now, if you played on live radio shows or in concerts, you were um, not—you were not violating that strike, and it had a major impact on the American music scene. At the time, all the union ba- union bands would dominate the popular music. After the strike, and partly as a result of big bands began to decline, and vocalists started dominating popular music. Which I said again when when singers. Um, when singers really started taking over, it really did start fucking things up. And um, the strike stopped business between the major record labels and the musicians under the contract with them. With recording and manufacturing equipment idle from the strike, and enterprising music promoters, record distributors, and store owners with the right connections took the opportunity to smart small specialty layers such as Savoy and Apollo that catered to musicians who were not under contract. Sometimes the musicians under contract restrictions recorded them under pseudonyms. And that worked really well in New York, Chicago, L.A. And a lot of the historically important recordings from jazz and R&P originate from these small labels. Uh, Dizzy Gillespie is huge in that world as well for the Apollo records. And um, big with the jazz bebop stuff. And there was... Um, obviously stuff, I don't know if you're familiar with Frank Sinatra, but he was a part of Tommy Dorsey's band. And, you know, the the way that Sinatra came into that and the way that end is actually like somewhat talked about in Godfather, but Tommy Dorsey signed a young Frank Sinatra and didn't want to get him out of the band contract. And when Frank Sinatra got it bigger than Tommy Dorsey, well, the mob got him out of that contract. And then, um, he also, I mean, Frank is the reason the size, the size of what he is is because of, the, you know, his voice. And it really didn't matter who was behind him, you know, and, and that's the thing, you know, like he could get in front of people and, and the, the place would go crazy. It didn't matter what the band did behind him because people were screaming. And that was like the beginning of like, well, 
do we really have to focus on paying all these members of this big band? And I, and I really think you should take a, a really a, a long look at the stuff from 1940s into the 70s because it really does in detail show you how there was a time when musicians could earn a steady hourly wage just by working within the industry, but then, you know, through strikes and different contract matters, the industry moved around that and said, all right, cool, we're going to, we're going to, you know, get mobile and we're not going to be held down by this union and we're going to figure out another way to do business. And that's how shit happens sometimes. And I don't think people realize that this industry will move around. And it's like, okay, what if in, in today's world, just for example, with shit that I deal with, this hardcore has, and I'm going to say it roughly, this hardcore roughly has had budget band budgets that were like over $120,000, maybe $150,000, you know? Um, and three of the motherfucking bands were half of that fucking, you know, three or four, maybe sometimes up to five was half of the band budget. It, you know, if you guys want a union, uh, Mr. Architect or, you know, the people who are commenting on the architects, like, in a union, it's not really how it works. Like, everybody gets paid the same fucking wage. Now, I have no problem tomorrow saying, hey, I have this amount of money to pay the bands, and everybody gets paid the same wage, but as we're going to get into the next thing, that's not how the music thing works. So, due to Soundcharts blog, I actually took a lot. It's about a 14-minute read. They said, I really think you should jump at this, read the whole thing. But Soundcharts blog really broke it down. It talks about the same thing. I was talking about the 1960s to the 2000s promotion carried out by the record labels. And then what would happen with the emerging DIY promotion, yada, yada. And then really what it comes down to be is that there's three separate sections. I was saying the live, the recording, and then the support. Not only the people just like we're talking about the people that make sure there's gear, but also the people that are training people to play music, but also the agents, the manager, like all that shit is a part of the music industry. And that's a huge part of what these people who are bitching about this merch cut don't get. Major artists work with dozens of partners. They tour around the world, release singles, videos, albums, make appearances, sell merch, and promote their music and their shows. Large careers need large teams to maintain them. These teams are developing acts are usually much, much smaller, but then still someone has to support all the revenue streams. So working with young artists means juggling dozens of hats, learning how the music industry works, and expanding your expertise to cover all the holes. And so, you know, this includes artists, managers, independent major record labels, publishers, distributors, promoters, agents, agencies, and everything is all tied in. And everybody's a little bit different. That's the whole point. Like, Yes, in a perfect world, every band at this article gets paid the same amount of money. Tomorrow it would make my life a thousand times easier because they would say, how much is the monies? Well, we're going to have this for every band. Uh, okay, well, we're not going to play that because we could get more money going over there. All right, well, that's why that doesn't work. And then via this, I've never heard of a big band saying, well, we're not playing unless the opener band gets paid this. <laughs> and that's the other half. And everyone's complaining about their cut, but are they complaining about the young, the, the lower bands cut? You know, like one of the great things I love is when the older hardcore band needs the new young gas band, the band with the gas. The band with the gas could come to Philadelphia and sell their own two hundred and fifty. But if they play with the old band, the whole show might do four hundred. 
Let's say this again. The young band could do their own 250, but with the old band, the show could do 400. At the end of the night, the old band does not split the money halfway with the young band. And that's the way so many younger bands used to come up with these tours where they're supporting the older band. Because it gave the younger band the quote-unquote exposure, but they already had the exposure. They, they had their own crowd. And young bands now are starting to see this more and more. And the younger agents, having been exposed to this, are less likely to throw a younger band on an older band's tour because the young crowd is a huge part of the market. However, the biggest problem this Arcor has is, I wish I'd God I could just put the youngest band on the bill, who is the coolest, but they don't want a headline. They want some older band. And then I get people, I don't want to play with older bands. Well, I, you know, people expect something. I don't know what the fuck to do. So... In the this is a really good thing. I think you should check it out. It's really interesting. I think they did the best job of breaking a lot of things down. And a um, this is this is a whole thing. A there is more than just the musicians in the industry, and there's more than just the people that are trying to steal money in the industry. That's really what it comes down to be. But um, my next link would say, if you've decided to embark on a career as a musician, it is important that you have some familiarity with the difficulties that come with run with a legitimate business, i.e., should musicians form an LLC? Musicians can benefit greatly from forming an LLC. Do musicians need a business license? And then here's the whole line of this. You will get paid to play your music if you are a business and you must register in a state you live and work. To understand why musicians should register a business, let's discuss a worst-case scenario. Imagine you get hired to play the music at a wedding reception taking place at a country club. Before your performance, you need to connect your equipment to an electrical outlet that's far enough away and you must use an extension cord. Now you have draped the extension cord across a walkway that it caused one of the wedding guests to fall and injure themselves. Later, the injured person decides to file a lawsuit against you and your band. If you hasn't registered your band as a business, you and your bandmates can be legally held personally liable. That means if you lose your lawsuit, the court can pursue your personal assets of your home bank account to cover the damages. Your business would take the loss, etc., etc. Um, so here it is. Why musicians should form an LLC. For most musicians, the most effective way of protecting themselves legally is forming a limited liability company. And then it, blah, 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 all the details. And then uh, the, 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 the thing that... Um, there's a whole thing about, uh, on, uh, lawyerdrummer.com about when musicians should incorporate the benefits of incorporations by musicians, tax benefits, limited liability, blah, 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 blah. And just so that we get really to the nitty gritty, um, constitute a legal corporation and this is where we're going to get into this this is where i was really going to get all all in depth here even further was and i hope you guys aren't like what the fuck is this asshole talking about you're not a fucking worker you might be an artist but you're selling 
everything that you sell, the t-shirt, the song, is a product. You are selling. You incorporate as a band to protect yourself, as we just heard. You are selling. You are a corporation if you have an LLC. You are not the artist or the worker. You are selling. That's where we get back to popularity. Popularity buys you protection from critics. The critics will not attack you because you are a product. And as we talked about before, you know, the social problems of not being tied in with a cool brand and all this stuff. And then it goes even further. The labels, which are also corporations. Management, which also have their own corporations. The media, which is websites, which are also incorporated. Record labels, which are also corporations. All work to make money. Not all work to make, you know, it completely egalitarian and free. Not everybody is trying to be Death Row Records in the you know the height of the end of the nineties. But you know, everybody working wants to get bigger. Everybody working wants to make more money. And so you can talk about striking, but you're not a you're not. I mean, the, the NLRB, you know, will tell you right off the bat um, the point of strikes. The right to strike. Employees shall have the right to engage in other concerted activities for the purpose of collective bargaining or mutual aid and protection. Strikes are included among the concerted effort to protect the employees, but the problem is, is you're not an employee. You're a corporation. You're a company. Every band is his own company. So, who are you going to strike? You're going to strike from not playing your own fucking shit. That's how it fucking works. Um, there's a lot of different rules in the National Labor Relations Act and about the, re- the, the, the reasons to strike... And, uh, you know, the, it really just comes down to like, for instance, and, and, you know, there is, um, in my union, I work as a journeyman, which means that I've worked long enough to get the full wages as a journeyman. And unless I'm working as a general foreman, then I get this paid the same amount of money. And everybody who's a journeyman in my union gets paid the same amount of money depending on where we work. In New Jersey, the living expenses are higher. The cost of living is higher. So you get paid a couple bucks more. In Delaware, you get paid a couple bucks less. Depending on where you live, the different jurisdictions is where you get paid. A little bit more, a little bit less. But everybody gets paid the same. Right off the bat, we already discussed that every band is not a fucking worker, but they're a fucking they're a fucking company. So if you hired me to play drums for you, I could strike, 
But then you would just be like, okay, I'll just get a different fucking drummer. Fuck your strike. That's the end of it. And unless you have some collective bargaining agreement with me, <laughs> then you don't have a fucking case to strike. I don't have a case to strike. and just fucking fire me. But my union, we we have a union board that represents us. And the contractors, all the contractors in our areas have their own board. The General Buildings Trades Council represents the trades, all the unions. And then the General Building Contractors Association represent all the contractors that have business relationships with the trades. And that's the National Labor Relation Board has copies of every single contract. And every couple years, one contract expires and they all get together, usually around late March, early April. There's a discussion on, okay, well, it's been five years since we had our last contract. Let's go and talk. Now, in the entire time, my labor, my union's only been on strike one time, and that was back in 2014. That was nine years ago. So, that being said, there's a relationship between the board and the trades. Well, there's no fucking relationship that you're going to be able to create with the umpteen thousand bands the potential hundreds of labels and the the two or three major corporations because you're all corporations. You're all corporations. That's how it is. You're a small one, they're a bigger one. If you want to play Live Nation venues because you're a small corporation, they'll let you. If you are big enough to make sense for them to play and they're big enough to you can make them some money, they will help you make some money. And that's how this whole fucking thing works. There's there's no workers rights because you want to go ahead and play music and be on tour unless you are in a collective bargaining agreement in the band, but then <laughs> You're going to strike from the band? Okay, well, then the band can't make money, and the band's going to dissolve, and that's the end of the fucking band. That's it. There's no fucking strike. You know, like, no one asked you or put a gun to your head and said, you're going to make popular music so popular that you're going to decide to take it out of beer halls and VFWs and place it into the hands of the corporate America, which we discussed with the Live Nation thing. I mean, Live Nation along with iHeartRadio, which is the largest American radio station owner in the country, and, and along with Clear Channel, which is another giant thing, it's in a monopoly. It's a musical monopoly. We talked about that already. You're engaging with people who will replace you. Will replace you. The best thing that you can hope for is finding a middle ground emotionally with yourself where... The decisions that you make as a business, for better or worse, are either aesthetics or values or smart just business things. Like, oh yeah, you know what? It makes sense for Turnstile to tour with Blink-182 because Blink-182 are old dudes. And they're not going to be around anymore, but the younger fans of Blink-182 may, who don't know what Turnstile is may attach themselves to Turnstile. And via this, you know, people my age have already seen Blink-182, but... You know, their kids may have not seen Turnstile, so, hey, I'm going to take the kids to see Blink-22 in this Turnstile band. 
Boom, boom, boom. Easy win. Peanut butter and jelly, right? That's the, that's the decisions that you have to make at these crazy bigger levels. Like, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to we're gonna play these kind of crowds and we're going to play for Bling Away 2 and we're honored because, you know, I, I guarantee you, you know, turnstile dudes fuck with Bling Away 2 and it's not wrong if they do. But, you know, like, it, it's going to grow them so it makes sense. But if, like, whatever some ska band wanted to bring turnstile, they'd be like, nah, son, I don't think we could do it, right? And that's the stuff. That's the problem with all this belly, you know, belly aching like, oh, it's so fucking difficult. Look, if you sell $10,000 worth of merch at a Live Nation venue, um, you guys are already paying dumbass taxes if you have those POSs and all that shit, unless you can figure out a way to lie and cheat. And that's not my business because I don't care about it. But, you know, $10,000 of merch, you pay 2000 to the venue. Well, it's fucked up, man. All right, cool, cool. Go ahead and you'll have to play a room. Oh, the Live Navy venue is 3,000 people. Okay, well, then you'll have to play five shows at the 600-person room to play in front of the same amount of people. Moo, ah, ah, ah. That's what they got you on. Now you play the bigger room, son. You're going to the big leagues. Iron Maiden, they played the big, big, big room in Philadelphia. I think there's like fucking eight merch areas. I've never seen Brute Dickinson once complain about a merch cut. He's playing in front of 25 or 28,000 people. The fucking t-shirts are like $60,000. And then, yeah, it's as long as time memorial, the bands that are playing in these merch cut areas, sometimes they add a little like, hey, listen, if it's going to be 20%, okay, well, well, we could do that math too. You know, we know 20 times point, boom, boom, four. Okay, a $20 shirt is now a $24 shirt. The person who's going to buy the $20 shirt is going to buy the $24 shirt. So shut the fuck up. It's getting ridiculous. And it all goes back to the same thing. You get to be in a popular band. You go ahead. You go on the internet with your dumbass friends. Your fans. And you can say the most ridiculous shit unchallenged. Or do you have like 2,000 people that will just argue with you forever. Or argue with any detractor forever. And, you know, the, the my final stand I'm going to make tonight... So, oh, here we go. Um, the 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 labels have business relationships with management. Management have relationship with artists. Management sometimes have their own relationships with um, specific booking agents, which is why sometimes good teams form where it's like a good manager and a good booking agent make for really good, positive relationships and bands flourish in those conditions. And then other times it doesn't work. Sometimes the label and the agent or may the manager and the agent are good, but the label is not so good. And then the, the tour doesn't get supported or maybe the management doesn't think the marketing's there. And that's the other part of it is all these bands are paying 10% here, 15% here, then the label is paying for publicity. You think, you, you read anything about any of these fucking bands ever getting a bad review? No. You think Central Media has gotten a bad review? When was the last time anyone shit on a band? Again, it goes back to what I said. Just like the American government and the lobbying. 
You know, do you think that the record label and the you know the metal hardcore quote unquote press has any criticism? No, because the big fish pay for ads. The small fish don't, and they get in there because they're hoping these bands get bigger, and then they become, hey, remember when we did this for you? And it goes back to that thing I said. Yeah, the nineteen-year-old reporter is going to tell you that you created the greatest thing ever, the best breakdowns. You're the coolest. No one else mosh harder. It's at the same level with the paid publicity. These magazines aren't critics anymore. They're not giving you anything unless they're chopping down something that's easy easy prey. You know? Death metal's huge and everybody shits on Chris Barnes now. But in 1990, everybody was sucking that man's dick. <laughs> that's just how it's got to be. You know, you think, you think any of them, Decibel, um... What's the other one? Revolver. Do you think any of them are critical of anything that they think socio-politically might hurt them down the line if they don't say something good? Maybe that label doesn't advertise for them. Maybe, the, you know, oh, you don't want to say something nice about our thing? Well, now we're not going to get you all access. Passes. Oh, you now, now, you're, now your photo person can't come to the show. They got this fucking game, Lock, Stock, Two Smoking Barrels. Everything out here is an advertisement. There's no criticism. Popularity created this. The internet secured it through the fastest means possible to get a band from 0 to 90 and no problem. But that also means that sometimes these bands don't really fully see themselves and then they constantly need these artificial boosts such as releasing records and having a huge press storm that's already bought and paid for in publicity um, you know, this is the, this is the, 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 the other big part of it, you know, the, you can pay for anything at this point. You could basically pay for you know, like places on the tours, places in charts, you know, like you could, it's, you know, it, it's, it's not without it, you know, like billboard has it, you know, um, it, it's just the way it goes. You know, they, it's it, just the way it works. And, and so when you go ahead and you read something seven times in the first week of a, of a, a record coming out, don't buy it. Not don't buy the record, but don't buy the bullshit. Don't buy the advertisement. Don't buy the fucking, the commercial. It's all commercial. It's paid advertising from the record labels, from the management, shit, some of the own bands involved. It's a big world, of a huge music industry of quid pro quo. And it's not, it's not um, National Labor Board level exploitive measures that a bunch of corporations get together and go quid pro quo on shit. And so the end result is... Somebody who wants to play in front of X amount of people have to pay X amount for all the t-shirts they're selling. They're going to say, dude, that's a price of business, motherfucker. That's how it works. You know? And I mean, you could relate it back to what I was talking about when, in my concrete business. You know, if I if I need if I need a skid of concrete bags, <laughs> I got to have a good relationship with the supplier locally. Which means either my credit's got to be good. Or I got to have cash on hands, which sometimes the orders can be thousands of dollars. And, you know, you got to have 
you know, oh, you know, we already promised this. You got to have good relationships. One hand, wash the other in business all around. I don't love the idea that hardcore has seeded so deeply into all of the business part of it, but it was never not going to happen because the minute art is created and there's a dollar placed on it, it's a product. No matter how you fucking look at it. Um, the SSD control 7-inch. That's my bro, Hard Carl, said, Damn, dude, I used to have four of those. You can currently get one for $750. The person who is making $746 more than the band sold the record for is not Al Burrell or any member of the band. Keep that in mind. Art, when created, is sold and then resold. And then the value goes up as the quality is limited and the rarity continues to grow. And the musician doesn't get the same face value, you know. I'm sure Mike Judge would love some of that Judge aftermarket chunking resale money. He's never gotten any. You know, this is what it is. You do this shit because you love it. You do this shit because it's your passion. You do this shit because you're excellent at music. And maybe you're not even great at writing music, but you're an amazing player, a good performer. Or maybe you're just that guy who's just fucking good enough and keeps his mouth shut, doesn't get in trouble, and just makes for a good touring partner. You make a fucking living touring. That's what the shit's about. But this fucking belly aching and complaining and... We're going to start a fucking union. For what? You got no grounds. You're the fucking corporation. You know? Go from go from Steve Jobs in, in his mom's basement to the fucking... To the big leagues. I don't know what to tell you. The minute that you start this shit... The minute you start, you know, wheeling and dealing and, and moving in this world... And, and trying to be a bigger, bigger fish in a very large ocean with some big fucking sharks... And no fucking land to rest on... This is what the fuck is going to happen. I'm a little scattered in some of it, but, but I really do think that really interesting stuff is to check out the, the the craziest thing. Sorry. The craziest thing I learned was that in the late 19th century, families who were middle class would buy a piano. And the most lucrative thing that could happen is if the family would buy a popular song, sheet music. So sheet music was a huge deal and a huge part of the music industry of pre, you know, pre, you know, twentieth century. Which, for those who don't know, twentieth is nineteen zero zero. Every century is one number higher, because zero zero to ninety nine was the first century. So twentieth century is nineteen zero zero onward. So if you were in the nineteenth century, <laughs> sheet music was a shit. You know, it's like, yo, let me get that new turnstile song. I'm going to go home and learn how to play on the piano in the house. That's what it was. So much interesting shit about the creation of musicians. And then um, locally to Philadelphia, Dizzy Gillespie and a couple black musicians, because of the racial divide, created their own separate music in the um, union because the you know African-Americans who were dominant Obvious for obvious reasons, and playing jazz and playing places were not represented properly within the union, so they created their own. And that uh, local, there's still signs in Philadelphia for it. Um, 
aside from that, there is currently a, a union. You can go to it at at U M as in Mary, A as in Arnold, W as in Walter underscore. That's a Twitter. It's a union of musicians and allied workers. They joined in 2020. I imagine this is like some COVID shit, just like the other things about the, the, the you know, protecting the venues and all that stuff. And um, they seem like they campaign for, you know, certain things, but I think it's a broader brush towards different things and not exactly um, going to help out the architects person who wants the merch cuts to end with Live Nation. I don't think they're going to do it. I think I saw Bernie Sanders and some names pop up. My mic keeps falling. I think I'm about to get a new a new gimmick soon. It's getting fucking out of control. But I had this thing three years and I keep moving it. So I got up and fucked a little bit. But yeah, I think Bernie Sanders and another senator kind of decried over some things regarding the they were cited in that YouTube article that I pulled up. But um, yeah, the 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 thing that you, you can check out for me is just go through some of this. Start looking, start looking at some of these old things about the old. American musicians unions um and and you'll see you'll see that anywhere where musicians went ahead and started sticking up for themselves the music industry just moved around them and I don't think it's going to change anytime soon and in fact I'm not going to start you know raising the fucking red the red you know the red alert about AI and all but it ain't too much longer before we see AI hardcore shit and all this so um yeah, that's what I got for you tonight. Again, Gorilla Biscuits, Saturday, doors at 7.30, first band 8. Gorilla Biscuits, Sunday, doors 1.30, first band at 2 p.m. Limited amount of tickets. I'm sorry for everybody who bought tickets and then decided they weren't coming. Uh, I'm still trying to link some people up on the emails. So you can email me, hey, Joe, I'm looking for a Saturday ticket. Hey, Joe, I've got four Sunday available, and I'll do my best. For the people that bought tickets to find individual sellers. The shady ticket thing. I mean, we use Eventbrite. They're not as big as the problem with the Ticketmaster. But, you know, we can do it digitally where they do the switchover. And we're pretty easy. We print out the list. We know who bought who. But um, there still are people in the internet IG bot world that just Google around every time the world, or I don't know how they do it, but they basically figured out a way to algorithmically find when people are talking about selling tickets in the comments. So it suggests, you know, hit us up. You want to come to this show and you haven't got tickets, show up mad early because we're going to have, I don't know the exact amount because every time I get an email, I try to link up somebody with somebody, but there are more than a handful of people that said, hey, I can't come, give up my ticket. So we'll get you guys in. And um, thank you for supporting uh, more news next week and T-I-H-C podcast, phillyhcshows.com, P-H-I-L-L-Y-H-C shows at in the Instagram and on the Twitter, same thing. And um, just thank you. Bye-bye.